Come on in, come on in. Hi, how are you? Would you like a tea coffee? I'm the one that takes a coffee before sugar. <laughs> I think there's a seat over here. Give me a seat, I'll get a tea coffee. Hello, everybody. Come in, come in. Please find a seat. With all of us together, it'll be chaotically beautiful. Let us all sit and enjoy the brew and blather. Hello and welcome to A Brew and A Blether, a community-produced podcast funded by the Great Place Scheme and recorded in partnership with Erskine Arts about the lives of women and non-binary people in Renfrewshire. I'm Jules, this is Frankie. Hello. We're volunteers at Kairos Women Plus and in this series we're focusing on women's heritage. By that we mean how women's lives are remembered. In this series, we'll be talking about our experiences collaborating with Paisley Museum, Poor Houses and Poverty in Renfrewshire, the legacy of slavery in Scotland, and finally, Section 28, LGBTQ plus education and representation. We wanted to explore some of the more marginalised voices in Renfrewshire's history, so our focus is not just on women plus, but on un- underrepresented groups more generally, working class, BAME, and LGBTQ plus folks, and the documented histories we have uncovered, or more often struggle to find. We believe that documenting the lives of marginalised groups now is the key to a more representative history in the future, so we hope this podcast can contribute to a more representative heritage sector in Renfrewshire and beyond. This episode will dive into the heritage work we have been involved in at Kairos Women Plus. Our project Kairos Museum, in co-production with Paisley Museum, aims to make the lives of Women Plus, both today and in the past, more visible and museum spaces more representative and accessible. When the museum reopens in 2023, We'll be telling the story of the local women's cooperative guild through their banners and objects as part of the Paisley Museum Reimagined project. We have also collaborated with Glasgow Women's Library on the Making a Mark project, delving into the lives of Renfrewshire's working class women, women artists, women in prison, women active in their communities and also women who were admitted to the poorhouses and asylums of Renfrewshire. An exhibition about the Making a Mark project has been displayed in Paisley and Johnston and soon it will be travelling elsewhere. Let us know if you'd like to see it in your community centre or library. First, we'll hear a recording of an audiobook of a comic created by members of Kairos Museum about representation in museums and the potential of Paisley Museum Reimagined Project. We'll then hear a conversation between Jules O'Brien, that's me, volunteer and member of Kairos Museum, Katie Wilson-Scott, our Senior Coordinator at Kairos Women Plus and the Co-Facilitator of Kairos Museum, Steph Donini, Audience Research Officer at Paisley Museum Reimagined, and Sarah Cartwright, who's our Social History Curator at Paisley Museum Reimagined, as we're going to be chatting about co-production. This is an audio description of a short picture book called Our Museum Reimagined by Kairos Women's Group, working with Paisley Museum. It tells the story of Kelly and her experience of visiting the museum. It's a girl! It's 1980 and a beautiful baby girl has just been born. She's been held in her mother's arms and is wrapped in a purple blanket. They're both white and her mother has orange hair and glasses. Above them is a banner which reads, It's a girl! And her mother whispers joyfully, Welcome to the world, Kelly! Time flies and Kelly is now seven years old. She has mid-brown hair and is wearing a blue t-shirt and is sitting on her bedroom floor. 
Kelly is holding her favourite robot toy and is surrounded by her wooden train set and posters of her heroes, Wonder Woman and Amelia Earhart. Kelly is drawn to technology and is interested in how things work. She loves superheroes, explorers, trains and, of course, robots. While she was playing in her room, Kelly has an idea. She runs through to her mum, clutching her robot and declares passionately. Mummy, when I grow up, I want to be a robot. Kelly's mum is surprised but responds. You can't be a robot, but you can build them. Her mum has an idea. Let's go see some inventors in the museum. Kelly and her mum arrive at Paisley Museum. It was a beautiful morning with plenty of visitors in front of the imposing old building. Kelly is excited to see what's inside. Inside the museum, Kelly and her mum walk past portraits and sculptures, exhibits of inventors from history. They hold hands and Kelly is curious and excited to learn more about the people who came before her. But to Kelly's disappointment, all the inventors there are men. She can even imagine one portrait speaking to her. A man wearing a top hat, stroking his cat, is saying, I'm a rich white man. Kelly suspects that this part must be the men's gallery. It's as if a big neon flashing sign appears above her head, reading men. She turns to her mum and asks, Mummy, can we go to the bit with the girls now? Kelly's mum gulps and holds out her arms in despair. She doesn't know what to say as she, for the first time, realises that history has forgotten the lives of ordinary working-class women. Those stories weren't there when she was last here. Where have they gone, she thinks. Thirty years later and Kelly is all grown up. She has found Kairos now, a local space for women and non-binary people. The space is a warm, friendly place with large windows of a shop front. She can see people chatting together inside. Inside Kairos there is a diverse range of women of all ages and backgrounds. There is a friendly atmosphere, women and non-binary people move around the space. They are of different ethnicities, some disabled, some young, some old, but all fit in there. Around the table in the middle of the room sit staff from Paisley Museum, Kelly and other Kairos members. Above them a banner reads, Paisley Museum and Kairos. They are discussing women's history and the museum. A woman of colour from the museum asks the group, What differences would you like to see? Kelly remembers her childhood visit to the museum. She replies with great passion and frustration. Well, did you know only 0.5% of recorded history is about women? And there's no ordinary working class people. Kelly is determined to make a difference. She rises to her feet and declares, This has to change. A little over 30 years later and Kelly returns to Paisley Museum, this time with her daughter. The museum has been refurbished and Kelly is keen to see what has changed. Kelly and her seven-year-old daughter are now inside the museum. Her daughter is mixed race and is very proud of her green t-shirt and the groovy yellow robot on it. Just like her mum, she's fascinated by technology. Kelly crouches, leaning into her daughter and tells her, You know, my mum used to bring me to the museum when I was your age. In the exhibition hall, much has changed. Kelly and her daughter walk past a bright rainbow pride flag and a statue showing women from the factories. A dark blue banner of a local women's guild hangs from the wall beside a tribute to engineer Dorothy Pullinger. 
Only a few of the old white men remain and the room is now vibrant and diverse. Kelly thinks as she walks by. Whoa, how things have changed. Passing a portrait of a regal-looking woman of colour and one of the male statues from her mother's first visit, her daughter sees something that catches her eye. She cries. Mum, look! Her daughter dashes forward to a photograph on the wall. It shows a woman of colour standing beside a grinning robot. Her daughter sees them both waving at her from the image and excited, she points at the picture and asks her mum. Mum, can I build robots when I grow up? At that point, the picture story ends, but the Kairos and Paisley Museum story continues, with the Your and Our History programme to explore untold stories of Paisley Museum. Would you like to introduce yourselves really quick? I'm I'm Jules. You'll already know my voice. I'm, I'm Katie Wilson Scott, senior coordinator at Kairos Women Plus. And I'm Steph, uh, audience research officer at Paisley Museum Reimagined. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm the social history creator at Paisley um, Museum Reimagined. Also. Fab. Um, you three have joined me here today because we're going to chat a bit about the co-production between Paisley Museum and Kairos that's been going on for the last couple of years. So, well, I mean, how long has it been going on? When did you start? When did, when, when did the first contact between Paisley Museum and Kairos happen, really? Um, so it was back in September 2018, um, and that's when uh, I bumped into James at a partnership event. And then at that point, the, the co-production work had just begun. So it was quite an exciting time. And James was trying to find community groups and charities that wanted to work with the museum to try and start co-producing objects. Um, so we just kind of went in headfirst and thought, let's go for it. Let's see what happens. We brought a group of women and non-binary people together. Um, and Sarah came along for that very first session to share a little about the objects in the collection related to women's history and then it just grew and blossomed from there I'm sure Sarah could add a little bit more to that story. Yeah so James had um, spoken to myself about Kairos and the fact that there was a group that were interested in potentially doing some co-production on a story but we weren't sure what story so the idea was that we would um, come out and meet the group and bring a range of different stories that we were were currently looking into um, and researching to see if anything of those stories would be something that would appeal to the group. Um, and I think we also had you out for a tour, didn't we, uh, early on as well, to actually have a look around the museum store, which is on the High Street in Paisley, which was really, I think, quite a positive experience all round because we got to show you some objects and it was nice to see you respond to those objects. And I think that perhaps that was a kind of, initial deciding factor that by the time we actually came out to your space maybe a decision had already been made but it was nice to do that kind of follow-up um with other stories um I think once you'd initially seen the cooperative uh, women's guild banners perhaps the decision had already been made but that was the kind of starting point so that was 2018 and we've been going strong ever since with the co-production working on a variety of different projects um along the way, um, including um, making an actual banner with um, the group themselves, which has been fab. And I think that's finished now, if I'm right. 
but potentially going forward making a slightly smaller one because it got quite big in scale at the time. Yeah, that's right. We're going to make a smaller version. The one that we originally made was huge, so it, it will cover like an entire wall of a room. Um, but it was a really wonderful opportunity for women to work towards something. And I think everyone really valued being able to delve quite deep into the way that the women's cooperative guild worked. So the museum brought things around the colours that the banners, um, at the what the, the colours in the banners represented, and also um, things to do with the symbols, the shape, the size, how the banner was used. And we reinterpreted that for the modern day to look at, well, what do we want to say? What colours do we want to use? What's our message? And it ended with the beautiful tree in the centre um, with words that were all connected to it. Um, and we used colours that we felt represented Kairos. So the tree was supposed to represent growth, solidity, something to kind of ground us and that we can grow from uh, because Kairos is all about reaching your potential. So lots of really exciting work's been going on. How do you think that the co- this co-production process has affected you all? Could be personally or professionally? or. Um, I think uh, personally for me, um, Kairos became quite a really important part of my working week. It became the kind of nice sort of Wednesday moment where you could, take a breath but take a breath with a bunch of people that were all aiming towards the same goal which was really nice and they all had the kind of similar ideas and drive behind what they were aiming for um and you know professionally the idea of co-production and outreach or whatever it whatever the terminology is it um for it at any particular time has always been really fundamental to my way of working um throughout my career the idea of people being involved in what a museum is then going to have on display for them can't be done without them. So the idea that, that the community is always involved in, in either choosing what's on in the museum or um, hosting objects within their own space has always kind of been a fundamental part of, of my roles previously, professionally. And it was really nice for me to be able to continue that on and that idea um, working on the co-production as, as part of Paisley Museum um, alongside Kairos. I remember um, a woman saying quite early on, uh, I always thought history was boring. <laughs> um, and that has been kind of the message that's been sent throughout this project. It's kind of, Paisley Museum have brought history alive uh, for our community. And it's, um, for me personally, it's given me much more insight into the heritage sector because I'm from the charity sector. So it's two worlds colliding and it's brought um, me a, a lot of satisfaction and knowledge because now I feel like I've got an inside view of the heritage sector and I can now go to a museum and look through their objects from a different perspective. And it's also given us massive amounts of opportunity as an organisation to um spread our values so talk about love within museums and we did a wonderful session with um with Steph and Sarah and Who Cares Scotland where we talked about care within museums and we did that with the British Museum so we've been given a platform that's enabled us to share our message with new audiences so that's been really fulfilling. Yes I think um, from my perspective I guess working with audiences and for audiences I guess thinking about co-production when I came into the project I didn't have a clear idea of what that meant 
And I think it's interesting to see how it really changes depending on the group that the museum is working in, working with. Um, and that it's not, I guess, it's not a linear process that you can say, this is how it works. You start, you do it this way, and that's going to that's gonna be the outcome. He's much more, he's much messier and he's much more about like the human care that comes into the, the process. And I felt particularly having witnessed Kairos transitioning into the um, sort of pandemic state of working where we, were, we all went uh, onto being on screen uh, and not being face to face in the same space. I felt Kairos really beautifully kind of embraced that state of things. And uh, it was lovely to like see how the group was was able to work together despite this kind of remoteness of uh, the situation. But I think uh, also in conversations with I guess Sarah and James, um, our co-production officer, we've been talking a lot about how there isn't like one recipe for co-production. It really changes. But definitely, I think the Kairos process has taught us a lot of um, lessons on how. Um, on like the, the, I guess, good practice on co-production. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, going into it, you said, yeah, you weren't sure what it was going to look like, Steph. Um, how about you, Sarah? Did you have a sort of idea about how that was going to look? Did it change? Or were you just going to be like, yeah, let's do this, see what happens? I think with any kind of co-production, it's um, it's dependent on the group that you, you're going to work with. And a lot of the time, um, it's clear from the start that perhaps groups have been kind of coerced into it and not necessarily fully wanting to take part or wanting to fully engage. And that comes from a range of, of different um, factors in, in terms of who's who's initially said, yeah, 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 no, the group will work with you, that's fine, but actually, have the group actually been spoken to and um, has someone made this overarching decision? Um, so there are challenges when it comes down to that aspect of it, that everyone's maybe not coming at it from the same perspective or not necessarily looking for the same kind of outcome. And that's those are just challenges that can be overcome from the start by having clear conversation and communication. But when it came to Kairos, it was very clear from the get-go how engaged they were in the whole process. The idea that they were so interested in, in the Cooperative Guild um, because they could see the parallels between the sort of um, the underpinning process um, of the Guild and how it related to Kairos and they just kind of felt that connection initially. Um, and I think a lot of it, it comes from I mean, we could we could do, uh, you know, week after week of, of workshops, but unless the group are bringing the same kind of energy and enthusiasm into it, I mean, you could shout into a void forever, but um, Kairos were always there, you know, 100% um, coming up with questions that we think, gosh, I don't know, <laughs> we'll need to find that out. And it was, it was that continual kind of conversation between us. It was never us going out and going, here's everything that we know, because... I mean, we were learning it at the same time. So it was really exciting to get that kind of feedback and that engagement from the group. And I think that's something that doesn't always necessarily mesh well sometimes, depending on the group that you're working with. But Kairos absolutely knocked it out of the park and continued to do so because you're a very 
busy group and I know that you go and do other projects with other people and you've got a lot of things going on a lot of the time but you always you know bring 100% to anything that you do so that was really an important factor for us working particularly with Kairos and I think it's been the same with a lot of the other co-produced groups that we have been working with the idea that um, they can see the benefit and the potential and um, they really want to have their say on how the museum develops. I think from from our well from my point of view it's always felt like an equal relationship and I think because the museum has arrived with such curiosity rather than this set of things that they wanted to achieve yeah there was outcomes that needed to be met but there wasn't this rigid structure that they had to be met through so that allowed us to both approach the process in this really curious exciting way and I think that was one of the main drivers behind the the group's passion and interest because we could take it in whatever direction that group of women and non-binary people decided they wanted to take it in Um, so every step of the way it was oh we were feeling our way through and and the museum was very open to working that out Sarah and James every step of the way oh yeah I didn't think of that oh yeah why not try that and I think this very podcast that we're sat here talking about today came about in a museum session where somebody came up with the idea of oh wouldn't a podcast be a great idea couldn't we talk about history on a podcast and now we're sat here doing a podcast um so that's really been the the process that we've followed and and i really like what you say sarah about communication um where we we were both on the same page right from the start and sometimes that doesn't always happen because your outcomes might be completely different so to be able to come together if you are quite different in um, what you're trying to achieve to work out how what have we got in common here how can we find a way forward but we didn't really need to do that with this partnership because it felt like we were together from the start What drew yourselves to working in these sectors? That's, I guess, that's a that's a good question because I I don't come from museums, so I feel I sort of came in from maybe the wider cultural sector, having worked in in an art centre before for festivals. So I think I I'm interested in the museum as a public space and the idea of what can you what can you do in a public space. So I I guess maybe before I look at the objects, I even start by just looking at what is there as a public shared space, as a resource for a community. So I thought the idea of Paisley Museum Reimagined for the community and also how Kairos, I guess, has approached this story, which was starting from an object, but then opening it up to making it relevant to people's lives, to people's concerns, people's desires, and maybe also people's anxieties. I thought that was something that resonates with the idea of creating a public a public shared space where people can come in with their own knowledge and kind of then use the museum as a resource, but not necessarily having to start with the objects as the first thing. And maybe that's something that we, we've talked a lot about in previous conversations, the idea of what objects get collected in museums, why do we value certain objects over others, and um, I guess do we want to try and challenge some of those hierarchies that we've been accepting for <laughs> for a long time. Um, and I, I remember also having a, a conversation, uh, probably it was I think with you Jules, about the museum and the idea of a safe space, so maybe that also connects with the idea of how do you create a public space that feels welcoming and accessible and safe for everybody to come in. But I'm, I'm kind of opening up lots of questions, so <laughs> um, happy to go back to it. 
later? Um, I think for myself, um, museums have always been that that place of discovery and excitement. Um, and as a kid, certainly I was taken to museums as one of three children because they were free. <laughs> and uh, it was a place that you could go and it didn't cost my parents a fortune to go out for the day at the weekend because you could go to the museum. And for us, it was about, as we were younger, you would run about um, and find the weird things in the corner and be like, oh my God, what's that? That's amazing. Ooh. And as we got older, you started to you know, delve in a bit deeper and um, investigate a bit more about the things that you, you thought, I don't know what that is. And sometimes you'd read a label and you'd go, I still don't know what that is. Um, so I guess that kind of started off my curiosity with museums and and through my education and stuff, I ended up um, kind of focused on that as as a as a job. It, it really interested me, and um, and as I've kind of gone through that whole process, it's for me become the idea of that an object is is truly wonderful in its own, but the story behind that object is the bit that brings the object to life, the bit that humanises it, the bit that really kind of makes it relatable to most people, if not everyone. Um, And I think that has really kind of spurred on my interest in museums to this day and the ability of being able to work and co-produce stories with communities who bring that voice to those objects. I think it's just so worthwhile because it should never be one voice talking about it, the idea of having everyone been able to input um, into the collection held by a museum, which is held for society, um, I think is just really fundamental because without it, it is a lot of the time just objects on a shelf and until people's voices start speaking through and for those objects, um, it becomes it becomes almost like a, a like a a visual library you're able to access it and people can really relate to what's on display in front of them and I think that's when museums really kind of come to life and they they speak for issues and they speak about um, important topics and because it comes from people that have had experience of using those objects or working with them or it relates to them in some way you're able to really get that sense of that object through that person's voice. And for me, I think that's kind of fundamentally where my career has kind of eked its way around. And that's that's where I see the importance of the, the job that I do and have the privilege of, of working alongside groups and, and objects at the same time. Talking about um, the stories behind the objects being more important than the objects themselves, part of uh, the co-production process, we're creating a story as well. I think uh, it's meant a lot to people to be able to be involved in the creation of a of a story that they're involved that they're they're like they can look in there and be like that's me in there and that's maybe the first time they've seen anyone like themselves at all in a museum yeah i think that's the exciting part about it jules that um the comic book that we created was about telling the story of um a little girl who went to paisley museum and couldn't find herself represented in the museum um, and she came to Kairos and she worked with Paisley Museum and then um, she had a child and took the child to um, the Reimagined Museum and could see versions um, of that themselves represented, which is really what we're trying to achieve with this project. How do we find ourselves in the museums and the institutions that we visit? And my passion 
um, for museums comes from my dad taking me when I was a child and always being interested in the social history, what happened to ordinary people during World War Two, what happened to ordinary people um, in the 1950s, what, what were housewives doing? That was the thing that I found most interesting because it related to my own heritage, my own past. And often the stories that we find are really vague, they're not specific, there's no actual tale of someone's grandma in that museum, there's a tale of some um, person who has achieved according to society standards great things and and that has never been the thing that I found most exciting so so this project allows us as ordinary women and non-binary people to say this is my story this is what I've experienced this is what my grandma did this is what my auntie did this is what my dad did and those stories are the ones that are the most exciting for all of us and and that's the history we want to start collecting Um, I guess, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking there's also this story of Kairos. As Kairos Museum, what happened in the last couple of years with it coming into a story, and you were saying, Jules, it's the story you are creating in relation to the objects, but then there's also this other story of like the human, the social space that you've created with Kairos Museum. And I think maybe from my perspective, because I'm thinking about evaluation, I know evaluation is sometimes a scary word that feels like we are judging <laughs> something, we are assessing um, like it happens at school. But I think what was really powerful after having conversations to really build up that idea of how is the project going? Have, are we meeting the aims? That's kind of what you do with evaluation. Actually, what came out of it was a story that was about knowledge sharing, about creating that social support, creating an infrastructure of care not just making something happen to deliver a project so I thought I think it's really powerful that we we're thinking about the story of the object the story that you created in relation to it and also just this other story of Cairo's museum that is probably going to be I hope <laughs> is going to be represented in the space of the gallery and people will be able to see that because I think that's the really powerful part of it and also I, I I'm hoping that will be something that will get people interested in museums more because often I feel when you go to see objects that don't have that relationship with your heritage with your personal experience then it's hard to actually want to be in that space so um, I hope and I think that's the intention that that story will be very visible in the gallery. Yeah I think that's that's a really important point Steph and I think um, something that came out kind of quite early on when you were producing the banner um, was initially the idea that perhaps it would go on display but I think it was yourself Katie that had said you know we can't put it on display yet because it's not it's not gathered its history Do you know it has the story attached to it and how the banner was produced and how it all came about but it's not yet built its history it's not steeped in having gone out um, to events or on marches or whatever it ends up being taken it doesn't have that imbued in the fibres of that banner yet. And that to me was really so important because the idea that down the line, maybe it will be. And then again, it's 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 about being part of making that history. You're, you're, you're physically making your mark at the minute and being part of producing something that potentially down the line, like you say, it will have its history as part of it. So it'll have its own story to tell. And I think that's such a nice kind of circular view on the whole, the whole project 
um, when it comes to the banner. Yeah, thanks for remembering that, Sarah. I think that's um, a, a really good summary of why stories are so important because that banner could go in the museum as is and people could imagine that it had a history, but it feels important that there is a real history to it. And it, and it makes me think about how we, uh, how our institutions and museums decide to collect objects and which objects they decide to store and value and tell the stories of and I learned from working with you that acquisition as they call it where you acquire objects doesn't happen as regularly as it is I think it should mm-hmm. um, so we don't acquire objects regularly when big things happen some institutions do and Glasgow Women's Library they often do contemporary acquisition to um, collect things around uh, the independence referendum for instance and COVID-19 which means that in 100 years that museum is going to be as relevant as it is today because they'll have objects from just now to present and and one of the huge barriers for me to make our, our beautiful Paisley Museum more inclusive is that we're not collecting objects of diverse audiences just now and if we don't do that just now what is that museum our museum going to look like in 50 years is it actually going to progress to the point where we're telling inclusive stories of diverse communities so that's something that I've learned and I'm probably I've probably got quite a critical view of that at this point um, but it seems such a simple solution and I can understand that there's lots of barriers and I don't know all of those around money and, and the reasons why and there'll, there'll probably be politics with a small p involved in some of that. Um, but as an individual human being, when we think about how we record and store history, that's the thing t- for me that feels so important. Let's collect it now so we've got it for then. There's really a lot of amazing stories that are just being lost and unheard because they're not being collected or archived. Um, it certainly feels like sometimes when you go into museums with a long, long, long history, I mean, their acquisitions were collected by the kind of the wealthy and the powerful. So what we're seeing is being curated by folks from 100, 200 years ago who were wealthy and powerful back then. And then people in the current day are only able to work with what's there. It's... Uh it's kind of been a nice, it's been a lovely thing though to see that changing a lot in the museum sector. You've seen much more of a push for, for diversity and for including, including the stories of just your ordinary folk, like because the kind of the Kairos and Paisley Museum story of co-production is a success story of just some ordinary folks through the power of communication and compromise and tea and cake and having a laugh, um, and. Um, being able to kind of accept whatever outcome happens and just more enjoying the experience. And that's what's really seemed to have come out with the most successful elements of it. Um, everybody being able to go away from it having had it change their life. And then I think that story in itself, looking back on it, other people might be changed in it and their working practice or in how they might approach projects. Um, I mean, is there anything that for folks who are thinking about going into or embarking on co-producing projects with communities or folks who are maybe like they've got a project lined up and they're thinking I've never done a co-production before I don't know what I'm doing is there any advice or anything that you want to that might impart some wisdom or or not (laughs) I think the the main thing and I can only speak uh, from a charity perspective is 
patience is so important and like you just spoke about there Jules compromise being able to sit down and think what what are we both trying to achieve and how can we find a middle ground that allows us to get what we both need um, from this partnership and then the thing that um, I've most valued and I think the whole group has really valued from Paisley Museum is that um, every step of the way Sarah and James have sought to understand so they've arrived with this desire to really truly and deeply understand what it means to be a woman living in Renfrewshire or a non-binary person living in Renfrewshire and James is a really good example of that he is a man and he arrives in a women only space and he does so with such sensitivity and kindness that it means that he's made it safe um, for so many of us to be in that space with a man and although for lots of women they'll think well what does that matter I'm with men all of the time that's a really important thing at Kairos because a lot of the women that we work with have experienced quite complex trauma so to be able to be in a space with a man is a huge step and to have somebody like James who's safe who's kind who's loving be a representation of what a man could be for those women who've never met a man like that before that's a huge thing too so um yeah just speaking from Kairos's perspective those are the things that have been most important for us yeah and I think from our perspective as a museum um it's it's, it's very similar the idea of having patience because obviously this project as we said it started in 2018 it's still ongoing the museum's not due to reopen until 2023 so having the patience to work with us over that period of time is really appreciated that the idea that it's not going to be something that's immediately going to be fixed and immediately going to be on display but the ability to work with us and develop as we go along both of us in terms of bringing different aspects to it and I feel like I've grown and learned both professionally and personally throughout the process um, and I've learned different things from the group which has been really interesting to feed back into my professional way of working um, and I think it's the idea of just being open to that learning process you're not going to go into it knowing absolutely everything you can't possibly um, and I've learned so much from the women and non-binary folk at Kairos that it's just, it's been such a, an experience from my perspective as well. And the idea that hopefully the museum was able to give that bit back to Kairos because obviously you're given your time and, and your valued input into the process. And that's, that's a lot, as we say, over quite a long period of time. So the idea that we were able to give um, something back in terms of, of training and different skills based around that you know the kind of idea of um the craft making skills for making banners and cross stitching much to some of the group's despair at the start but gradually as we went on that that did change the attitude towards that was slightly uh, more favorable um and then you know things like oral history training and and bringing in other voices from other institutions to talk about subjects that the group might find interesting and also the idea that um, it's about talking about it in a, in a wider sphere so that we're saying, well, here's Kairos, the group. This is what they're about. This is what they're working on. And being able to relate that to what else is actually happening in the heritage sector so they don't feel like they're a wee small island in the middle of everyone else that's resisting that kind of progress and change. So reflecting on this amazing relationship that's been built between Kairos Women Plus and the Paisa Museum and how it's grown and changed over time, and it's probably going to change more once the museum opens back up um, 
And then, of course, you've got people who move on with their lives um, or move to different parts of the country. And and we might well have group members, different people coming along. What kind of steps can we maintain, can we do to, can we take to, I'm going to ask that again. What kind of steps can we take to maintain how good and how strong this relationship is? I think we've we've thought about that a lot um, because it has become such a strong relationship but it has been built um, based on individual relationships and although we've got a wider commitment from Paisley Museum it's always scary isn't it when you think oh we've built strong relationships between Sarah and I or James and Jules what happens if Sarah and James are no longer at the museum or what happens if I move on or Jules moves on like those things are scary and and what I've thought about is how we can put practical things in place that enable us to think about how we work with the museum long term and and one of the things that I've mentioned a few times now is having a, a space that that community groups and charities can rent so that we could bring women to the museum regularly so it wouldn't take a big commitment from Paisley Museum a free space once a month once every few months that would allow us to stay connected with the museum that we now call ours so that we can continuously bring new women and non-binary people along, start connecting them with our objects. And we've talked about things like creating a women's tour of the museum um, and some of our women becoming volunteers at Paisley Museum and creating a tour that they could then once a month take women round and or take, take men round too, please, please come on the women's tour. Um, so that they can start engaging with women's history on a more regular basis rather than it being kind of a one-off, one-off thing. Um, and there was something else... Um, the other thing that I thought was potential for us to continue a relationship is potentially putting in a joint funding bid or something like that that allowed us to work together collaboratively long term because um, we're, we're all very committed to this pro- project and what it's involved and I think there's potential for us to involve more people and um, encourage more community collaboration with institutions like the museum and I think there's lots of potential that could come from thinking outside the box like we have for the last few years if we can continue to do that imagine what we could create and and just back to the acquisition point earlier could could we think about that differently and, and does it always have to be a museum that's acquiring objects could community groups acquire the objects store them and then when the museum decides that they might want to take those objects approach those community groups that have been storing that archive for a period of time and take it in yeah, I think that's a really important point. And again, it kind of leads back to the idea of um, how you've um, built up this massive capacity for the projects that you do that maybe have been stemmed from the work that you've you've done with us, for example, the podcast, but also the oral history um, idea of, of capturing um, women in non-binary in Remshire area, the oral histories, and the idea that that could potentially feed back into the collection at some point, whether it's in response to what's in the collection or whether it's just a separate <clears throat> oral history archive on its own. And again, I think it would feed into that whole idea of who's the collection for, who does it represent, the idea of so much of the collection being collected by you know rich white people, that a lot of the material that is in there might speak volumes about underrepresented groups, but they're hidden or they're censored. So the idea that these oral histories could in some way add into that down the line or respond to those objects um, allows that legacy between the groups to sort of continue on 
and hopefully having worked with a range of different groups, um, Kairos has built its confidence and they feel empowered to be able to work with other groups that they've met through the connection with ourselves at Paisley Museum and be able to lead and take on other projects and bring in the groups that they've met elsewhere, for example, like Who Cares Scotland. So they're, they're building their own capacity to take on projects that may or may not involve the museum in the same capacities at the moment, but allowing them to um, expand and become um, that kind of confident group that I've, I've seen that transition, that change from the start right the way through. You're, I mean, the change has been massive and it's been such a wonderful thing to be part of. And I, I'm just, I, I, as Sarah was speaking, I was thinking about the... Um, the recent exhibition you've had at the Tannehill Centre, Making Her Mark. And I thought maybe that's one of the beautiful things about co-production, that it should have this generative effect of other things are going to happen. And the museum is only one space where things start, but it should be just a catalyst for lots of other things to happen. And also the idea of building the confidence so that it's different groups than taking on their own um, projects and making them happen. So I think it's really beautiful that there is that um, the exhibition that happened recently uh, as an example of that. So um, I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, I think that has been it's been a catalyst. <clears throat> the museum project has been a, a catalyst for a lot of other things. Um, so it has been this opportunity to nurture um, our passion for heritage and take it in lots of directions like writing biographies working with Glasgow Women's Library to do an exhibition um, creating this very pod podcast just now and um, so it's been the start of something really beautiful and I hope it'll continue to to grow and arms and legs over the next few years. Yeah it's um it's amazing seeing some of the the changes it's brought about and people working together like this uh, and having all these opportunities um, including this opportunity today. Thank you, folks, for coming in and chatting to us about your experience of the co-production process. Um, hopefully you don't get soaked on the way out because it's a very rainy day today. I know Sarah's fine. She's down on the other end of a laptop screen, so you're all right. But, um, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Jules. Thank you, Shall we go have some tea and cake now? Yeah, Let's tea and cake, biscuits. please. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. We've been a brew and a blether, a Kairos Women Plus community produced podcast. If you like what you've heard, you can follow us on social media, all the usual places, or you can look at our website, kairoswomen.org, and I'll spell that out for you. It's K-A-I-R-O-S-W-O-M-E-N. If you have any questions or comments on the series, we would love to hear from you. Please get in touch. This series was made possible through the Great Place Scheme a project funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and delivered through Renfrewshire Council. The music you've heard is by Lakbay Lahi, the song Pag-ibig, which means love in Filipino. Love is central to our ethos at Kairos, and a lot of love and volunteer time goes into all of our projects. Thanks to the guests and volunteers who give their time to make this podcast happen. Mm-hmm.